Well, hello and welcome everyone. My name is Deborah Burton and I'm the CEO of Instruct. And I'm very happy to be doing this podcast today with one of our experts from the security team, um, Goran Mandir. He is a cybersecurity expert and one of these folks that we call an ethical hacker. And we're gonna be talking to him about that. Uh, a little bit about Goran, he loves to break security. Hmm. Uh, he has a background in testing and infrastructure and web applications, and he has a lot of experience in implementing security inside a development pipeline. Uh, in his spare time, he does a bit of martial arts. I want to know more about that. And he experiments with new tech, or as he said, hacker gadgets. We're going to ask about that too. <laughs> Goran, welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. Good to see you. So tell us a little bit more about how you came about uh, to join Zabia and how you came about to become one of those good guy ethical hackers. And uh, we'd, my audience would love to know more about you. Um, yeah, so it started already for me when I was little, when I got my first computer, yeah. like most of uh, other hackers. <laughs> um, yeah, so I liked disassembling my computer, fixing it myself, uh, stuff like that. So How old were you when you started doing that? I think I was seven or eight. Oh, which wow. Is, yeah, Love it really depends. Someone was like three or four. Mm -hmm. uh, I was a bit later. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I never forgot that. I kept doing that until I was uh, in high school. Um, and after that, when I went to uh, university, mm -hmm. um, there I made the choice to, yeah, do something with security because I already liked IT. Mm -hmm. And yeah, IT security is, again, a different field. And yeah, so I rolled in, did my thesis, thesis at a company which is specialized in performing pen tests Mm -hmm. So, uh, testing security on infrastructure and applications. Right. And, yeah, there I learned the tricks of the trade. Okay. And what brought you to Xavier? Uh, good connections. <laughs> <laughs> you were connected like that. Yeah. Um, that's something that I think in uh, yeah, the IT security field mm -hmm. or even in IT-wide, Right. It's often forgotten with technical people mm -hmm. that yeah you can really focus on um, yeah the technical stuff and being good at your job. Right. But if you want to continue and excel at what you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, you sh really have to meet new people. Right. right. And that brought me here. I met the right person at the right time. Right. And how long have you been with Zebia? Uh, at the moment, I've been with Zebia. I think around six months. Six months. Okay. Yeah. yeah me too. Um, we're newbies. Kind of. But kind there, of. there are there are several <laughs> people who are who have been here for multiple years. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, when we use this title, ethical hacker, what does that really mean? I mean, when you call yourself an ethical hacker, I, of course, the connotation is that you're doing things for the good, but from your perception, what does it really mean? Yeah, the ethical part of ethical hacker, what you said, it means you have to do something without the intention to 
get per have personal gain out of it. Right. And I think the main difference between the good guys and the bad guys, mm -hmm. uh, which are usually called hackers, mm -hmm. um, is that we do it to improve or to help customers improve their security mm -hmm. uh, so that the bad guys have a more difficult time to get in. Right. Because, yeah, you sometimes hear on uh, the news that... Uh, yeah, we created this awesome new product, which is unhackable. Right. And then the whole InfoSec community explodes. <laughs> Try me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, that's like, I think, waving um, a red flag at a bull, right? Yeah. When yeah. you go, yeah, you, you can't break in. Me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you actually have to break stuff, hack into stuff to find out ways to secure it. Is that what yeah. it is that how it works? Yeah. We try to, uh, with infrastructures or applications, websites or mobile, um, or even businesses, mm -hmm. if you know how something works, you know where the flaws are mm -hmm. and where yeah, security can be improved. Mm -hmm. so, so if you can pinpoint the, the security holes, which cause a vulnerability, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, then you can... Uh, take measures to prevent a breach. But what are some of the things that causes uh, uh, organizations to be breached? Are, are, are they complicated? Because everyone has security. Everybody, you know, knows to have, uh, you know, their, their little systems there that's supposed to track, you know, VPNs and things to protect and all of that. What, yeah. what goes wrong? It's usually that uh, the tool is made too complex and even the engineers try to circumvent or work around a way to implement it quickly mm -hmm. instead of doing it properly. Mm -hmm. So to do it properly, it costs more time usually, mm -hmm. um, not necessarily more knowledge because most applications are well documented, mm -hmm. especially the commercial ones. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so engineers try to implement it because it's requested from the business. Right. Hey, we want to work from home. Uh, can you implement a VPN, for example, right. or an, an online environment where we can access our business documents? Uh, but they get only a limited set of time to do that. Mm. So then, okay, do I meet my deadline or do I tell the boss, yeah, we need an extra week, right. which costs more money? Right. So the trade-off is... Time versus money versus security yeah. of the applications. That it's kind of a vicious little circle there in that sense, right? And that's what you also usually see in companies. Mm -hmm. That the engineers have the capability and the capacity to do it and right. to implement it properly. Right. But that business is hammering to do it in a yeah, much shorter time frame. Faster, quicker, faster, quicker, faster, yeah. quicker. But what do you see happening in the industry right now? Because um, you look at all the financial institutions, and these folks are good at security, but in the educational institutions, but you're beginning to see more and more breaches happen, more and more um, ransoms being taken where they capture your entire online presence Yep. And then you have you find yourself in a situation that you have to 
to pay to get out of it. What's what's changed so much now that that's it used to be not so common a thing, but now we're hearing about it on a fairly regular basis. Well, you of course you have social media. You don't have to wait uh, until it comes out the six o'clock news mm. in the evening. Right. Uh, when something happens, it goes live within a couple of seconds or even a couple of minutes. Right. Uh, and what's changed is that more systems become interconnected. Mm. Like when you have uh, first, all companies had their own like small data center at the office or at the central location. Right. Um, so that was more, yeah, secure and you had to manage everything yourself. Right. And now as more companies also move to the cloud and adopt cloud technology, more systems become interconnected mm -hmm. and you don't have... Uh, your data center here at the m anymore, right. but you can also have like a copy somewhere else. And if you forget about it and don't like update the other side or the other area, then that might also generate like security holes. Well, you know, I always wonder where is my stuff when I say it's in the cloud, and I want to know where is the cloud, right? <laughs> where, like where where are all my passwords? And where where is all the stuff that you think that is out there? I think a lot of people think that too yeah. when they think you know where their data is stored because right now when you take a look at that, um, most of our lives, most of our personal lives are out there somewhere. Yeah. 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 And the cloud is just someone else's computer. Right. Like it's not that I go to the store, I purchase a computer, uh, I put it at, under my desk, mm -hmm. and that is that that's the cloud. Mm. Um, but if you have a whole server farm like Amazon has, like Microsoft has with uh, their Azure platform, mm -hmm. or Google, mm -hmm. um, that's just a whole bunch of servers right. in one place where you can just rent. Uh, rent some space. Rent, and there rent it computing goes. time yeah. or rent a space. Yeah. So it's basically you're storing your application or your data on the servers or the computers of a big company. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the steps that people can take to ensure that their data is safe? What are the... the Do you the, mean the, consumers or I, other businesses? I mean other businesses as well as consumers. I, I think that a lot of the things you talk about is yeah, we, we downloaded something, we left it on a computer, we gave the computer to someone else, and then yeah. you realize that, oh my, I have all of my personal details there. So I think it's both. I think it's, um, it's the responsibility that we have of our own stuff, yep. but it's also how businesses can better secure the data because it affects their entire business. The worst case Definitely. scenario for any company is to have it blasted all over the world that they've been hacked yep. and that they are putting precautions in place to take care of it. So what are some of the things that you think, um, first let's start with individuals can do to better secure themselves? themselves. Uh, well, it's, it has, for individuals, it mostly has to do with like their online hygiene. Mm -hmm. Um, an easy way to do is like you see with your bank, for example, you have this uh, application which you can uh, use mm -hmm. um, and you have, you can enter like a secondary password. Right. So you have your login username to mm -hmm. log in and your regular password and right. then you have like a 
a code from an authenticator app or you get it a uh, text message or yeah. something like that. Um, and I love that, by the way. Yeah. I really do. I love the fact that uh, when you see, um, you, can, you get notified immediately that something's gone on. And if it's not you, you know that you can do something immediately about it. Yeah. And so that a whole authentication, that two-tier authentication, I think as a as an end user, I find very valuable. Yeah, but it's also like that companies more and more are expected to take responsibility for that kind of measures. Right. Like to notify you what, for example, Google does mm -hmm. or uh, other social media platforms mm -hmm. that they notify you on your uh, smartphone right. when someone tried to log in from a different unknown location yeah. where you've never logged in from before. Right. So for example, it would even mean I don't have to be uh, in New York, for example, to mm -hmm. for that message to trigger, to mm -hmm. trigger. Right. but I can be first uh, at home or at the office. Mm -hmm. When I go to uh, meet with a friend at another different place mm -hmm. and I use just my smartphone to log in, mm -hmm. I also get a pop-up. Because right. the, the connection to the internet is different from the application side. Right. It seems like many organizations are experiencing um, a shortage of security resources. Why is that? What are you seeing that is, um, you know, not only is there the complexity in the security, but finding people like yourself is uh, hard to do. Uh, yeah, I think it also has to do a lot with uh, the focus on yeah, the different um, studies offered at educational institutions. Mm -hmm. um, I think only like five years ago, security was introduced actually as one of the major subjects in uh, technical studies. Mm -hmm. Even before that, I missed the boat and I only had like one uh, or a 10 week period where I had like one course on security. Yeah. And the rest, yeah, I had to do everything uh, with self-study or with a community mm -hmm. and just exchange knowledge that way. Right. Have you seen it change? Is it changing now? More Is, and more. There, yeah, are, definitely. Are more and more organizations or in, um, educational institutions investing in security courses yeah. out there? Yeah, definitely. The educational institutions, mm -hmm. uh, they changed their program. Mm -hmm. Uh, to also incorporate more security-related topics, right. uh, either privacy or like technical security, mm -hmm. and but you also see more like other uh, online websites uh, where you can either subscribe or where you have a free environment to learn more about security, mm -hmm. and not only learn but also test your skills in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find it very interesting. Uh, um, as we move to the software-driven world yeah. and this, all this interconnectivity, um, you see more and more need for not just your normal security, but real security to ensure that um, if people are entrusting their most precious information with you, for many of us, that's you know, our private details in terms of our banking and, and our um, financial stuff, but it's also things like our pictures and our photos and our music and, you know, all of that. It's, yeah. It encompasses so much of our life. So protecting it, I think, is something that's near and dear um, to each of us. 
Definitely. Yeah. And some people have like a different approach to that. Mm -hmm. Like they don't care what Facebook knows about them mm -hmm. uh, because from their perspective, they don't share that much information. Mm. But it's all like from a security person's uh, perspective. Like if I was a bad actor and I want to know something about you, mm. I could scourge the whole internet. So it's not what you did yesterday on, on Facebook or on LinkedIn, right. but what you did when you were maybe in college. <laughs> when, when, if, when Facebook like became uh, more popular, right. what did you post then? Right. Like all that kind of stuff. Something that you put on the internet usually doesn't disappear that right. easy anymore. Right. But tell me, why do you love what you do? Because I know you do. We've spent time together. Yeah. And um, I know that you really enjoy this aspect of your job. And why is that? What makes this whole security area such a great passion for you? Um, it's the complexity of everything. Mm. It's not uh, that you, I can just uh, yeah, sit at my desk, test or secure uh, one network from one, for one company for mm. the rest of my life. Mm. Like it's an ever-changing game. Mm. Like tomorrow there might be a new, well recently we had like the, the Citrix issue, mm -hmm. which was very big because a lot of companies use it mm -hmm. and there were no, at that time, there were no uh, yeah, fixes available. So you would have to imp improvise, basically, on how you would protect that service you offer to your own employees. Right. And yeah, like the ever-changing challenges that come on your path is what really triggers me. And it's not only technical, you have also more social aspects of security. Mm -hmm. So the question is, when does an ethical hacker become not an ethical hacker? What changes? Is it just a financial gain? Is it more a challenge? Can we do it? Do you understand the mind of yeah. an unethical hacker? Or do we call them unethical hackers? So what is? Yeah, well, unethical, that's something that someone does might be unethical from your perspective, but, but very not. ethical in their perspective. From their perspective, mm -hmm. uh, or less unethical from my perspective. So right. there are like different levels of, uh, yeah, how the community uh, or society like sees if something is ethical or unethical. Right. Um, but in general, like the difference between an ethical hacker, which is, uh, in the hacker lingo called the white hat. Mm -hmm. You have a gray hat, which is like in between, mm -hmm. just does it for a challenge, but it's not, um, yeah, their goal is it's not, not to bring harm. It's not to, it's not to necessarily bring harm, right. but it's more like for the challenge and the learning. Right. But they also don't, if they find something, it's not that they feel that they have to uh, report it to the company mm. Um, maybe if they don't get any money, they won't report it, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it's more for their, for themselves. Mm. Um, and then you have on the opposite end, you have a black hat, which is the unethical hacker, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And they usually do it either, uh, yeah, for personal gain or for, um, they're hacking for a cause mm -hmm. they support. Mm -hmm. 
So more like hacktivists, right. what they're called. Yeah. Um, but that's also always for a gain which might impact the business mm-hmm. and has a positive gain on their own like agenda. Right. Either financially or in another way. In other ways. Yeah. So do you feel that it's kind of a, a battle that... Uh, that you fight every day in terms of securing uh, the safety of the information of the companies that you work with and ensuring that they're in a position to protect and uh, make sure that their clients are okay. It's a constant challenge of figuring, trying to figure it out before someone else figures it out. Yeah. It's like... uh, Like usually the only constraint like the ethical hackers have mm-hmm. is time because our time we have we do have the same amount of time mm-hmm. as uh, black hats mm-hmm. um, but we are usually constrained by the time either a customer pays for a service mm-hmm. or the moment when customer has a budget to take our services right. and then also uh, for us it's more of a profession um, and black hats, it's their life. Right. Usually. Yes. So they can they have much more focused time to see how they can circumvent the security, mm-hmm. develop new tools, mm-hmm. develop new exploits. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's always like a battle in that sense that uh, the white hats has to have to keep up or figure ways to keep up uh, with the black hats. Yeah. It's uh an interesting analogy, right? Yeah. When you look at it that way, yeah. it's uh, that uh, that balance of uh, I don't want to say good versus evil, but I mean it's that kind of that balance between how do we protect and how do we penetrate? You know, how do we uh, stop that uh, yeah. happening? I also wanted to get your idea for folks that are thinking about the area of security. Um, professionals that are looking to move into that. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of advice do you have for them? What do what should they have a passion for? What should they have an interest in? They uh, should, I think, have. Well, not like I said, not necessarily an interest in mm-hmm. the technology side, mm-hmm. but they should be eager to learn mm-hmm. because it's the the field is ever changing. Right. Constantly new technologies are developed mm. with blockchain. Maybe you, you've heard about mm, that. Yes, of course. Uh, you have these IoT devices which are like mm-hmm. coming up mm-hmm. in the market. Mm-hmm. Security is changing also to those new technologies. So what are type, what are the type of skills they need and to, to have to be able to do this? I mean, I think one opinion. of the core skills mm-hmm. is persistence. Uh-huh. Because not, that, not especially if you don't know how something works mm. and you give up after trying it for one day. Mm. Uh, but the first hour of the next day, you would have cracked it. Mm. Then you gave up too early. Right. So basically, if in the security area, you really have to have endurance and yeah. patience to understand that you can crack it, it might just take you a little longer yeah. than you would have liked. Yeah. 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 So you, have, you also have to uh, 
yeah, feel the topic. Like if you don't like it, mm -hmm. you will maybe survive for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, mm. but then you will get bored. It's interesting that that's the world that we live in now, and, but that's not going to change, right? I mean, but what do you see in terms of companies that have this issue? How do they get their people ready? I mean, I, it's hard to, it's hard pressed to find a company today that doesn't have some type of security team mm -hmm. that's guarding and looking and monitoring their applications that they're offering to their clients. Yeah. That's standard operating procedure now. Yeah, but yeah. that's also viewed from the technical side. Mm. And as a technical side still like can be a big issue yeah. for some organizations to mm -hmm. properly secure it, mm -hmm. um, the weakest link is always the human. Right. Because in every system you have, if you don't have a human operating it, then uh, you must have fully automated it. Right. So as long as humans are like controlling systems, mm -hmm. uh, you can always like find a loophole to control the human to do something. But then that then you get into that really interesting conversation about uh, um, artificial intelligence and machine learning and things. But so you can never really take humans out of it totally. Yes, you can have automation, but yeah. don't you kind of still need us around? You know, checking on things that the lights are blinking and. <laughs> For the foreseeable future, you do. Yeah. Uh, I don't think machine learning and uh, AI is already that well developed mm -hmm. that you can take a person out of uh, the system. Right. For example, in, fa uh, in factories, uh, that's something. It's just a well-defined process which has to have which has to happen. Mm. So you can program some uh, robots to do that. Right. But you still need like uh, a human to turn on the robots, to maintenance the robot. Exactly, exactly. And so, if something happens to inspect what ha what has happened. Right. So humans will always be a part of this, yeah. right? And I think that's one of the the the, um, the the things that people still struggle with when they talk about what we see happening in technology and how much fast it's moving and uh, how addictive it is to all of us. Yeah, and that's also like the the least focus point of a lot of companies right. is that they don't educate their personnel uh, to detect these fraudulent cases. That That's, a, that's exactly right. Yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons uh, uh, we're so excited from an Instruct perspective that we work with our security team as one of our business units, mm -hmm. simply because we know there's a big, transitionary change that's happening uh, for most of the traditional IT enterprises. They're trying to upskill or reskill people, massive numbers of people, to be able to meet the requirements. And security is a very important area there. Yeah. So what are you seeing in the big enterprises that you're working with, the, the things they're trying to do to get their people trained and upskilled? Um, what I mostly see is that they follow uh, technical training, mm. usually, um, but it's like very narrowed down to a specific technology or tool mm. used. Mm -hmm. And one of the core things of uh, large corporations 
is that indeed, like you said, they have a lot of people who need to move with the latest technology. Mm. And for now, I think most companies are now trying to move to the cloud or adopt a different way of working. Yes. Um, and yeah, you need very like heighten uh, the level of abstraction at which you teach something. Mm -hmm. Like you can use a specific tool to, to teach a concept, right. but you need to keep the adaptability of, okay, but what if company A uses tool B mm -hmm. or tool X and company B uses tool Y? If an engineer from A would go to B, then he would have, he would still need the same skills to use a different tool. Right. And most tools nowadays have the same capabilities, mm -hmm. but just in a different jacket. Right. right. So if you teach someone to really use one tool mm -hmm. instead of uh, a concept of securing an environment mm -hmm. or uh, using a tool in a secure way, mm -hmm. that's much more powerful. Okay. So, and you see that happening today with, um, with companies on the ground trying to get people in a position to understand how to use those types of tools yeah. in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys work with us in terms of building learning paths and providing uh, ways, uh, a more challenge-driven way of learning. What do you see from the Instruct platform that brings value to clients? I think the biggest benefit of the Instruct platform is that you can apply your technical knowledge directly. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've noticed over the years is that I can read a book, I can watch a video, I can follow a training, which is very theoretical, mm -hmm. but by the time uh, I have to apply it, I already forgot half of it. Yeah. yeah. So then I have to research it again uh, in order to apply it at that time. Right. So yeah, the time I spend can be uh, used much more efficiently mm -hmm. and with instruct you can like give the theoretical uh some theoretical points in a challenge for example um and then directly apply it in yeah a challenge or an issue at hand right and then that means that you're learning it you're actually figuring it yeah. out in the live environment on real on the real tool that you will be using yeah it's actually you're making, reinforcing, reinforcing that, that learning knowledge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We that's one of the things that we're very proud of is that we believe that hands-on learning is real learning by doing and learning by doing on real tools and technology yeah. uh, to change the way that people are uh, learning. It's a whole different world now yeah. in terms of the way people are learning. Take a look at the way this technology has been around. It's not new now. A lot of the technology we're using, we've been using for 20 plus years in different ways. It's gotten smarter, it's gotten smaller, it's gotten more mobile, it's gotten more applications, but we're very used to using that. Yeah. So um, finding ways to encourage that is uh, extremely important. Yeah, and another different, another like plus is that you don't have to host the challenge or the infrastructure on the device of your choosing. Right. So if you have a, a very solid and qualitative uh, track or module, um, 
it's hosted at Instruct. Right. So I can use my laptop, my home computer. I can use even my, my smartphone mm -hmm. if I'm in the train or right. on the road. Yeah. Um, and just connect to the platform mm -hmm. and just learn whenever I have time. Yeah, yeah we love that too. We Instead have... of going like to a, a large classroom somewhere in... Right. in the country yeah no we, we 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 love that too and that's one of the things that we really wanted to invest in building into the platform was the op opportunity to have these bite-sized chunks of learning you know where you can learn as you go if you're on the train you put on your headset you get on your phone you can play you can figure it out do the challenges and, yeah um that's modern learning and that's what so many of the younger generation that are coming up now have learned how to do. And what we're hoping is because when you, you can't go out and hire talent anymore. No, it's very especially difficult. Especially not in the Netherlands. No, no, no. You, <laughs> you can't, can't forget you about can it. You can forget about it. Yeah. You cannot go out and hire talent. So the, I think the idea for us, and particularly working with you and that great security team that you work with, is um, really trying to find a way to help traditional organizations be able to train their folks in a new modern way, um, scalable and also affordable. Yeah. You know, I just love talking to you. We need to do more of these talks because um, it's a very interesting subject. And I tried to keep it pretty high level this time. Mm -hmm. But the next time we sit down, I want to go down a little bit deeper so that people can get an idea of the type of tools that are out there, but also the type of threats that are out there and what they can do to try to ensure that they keep their people, their content, their reputations safe. All right. Thank you, Garin. It's such Thank a you pleasure. for having me. Such a pleasure to have you here.